Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Top of the morning to you there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the podcast. This is the podcast where TLDR does not apply and the study of history is a way of life. We are broadcasting live from Dublin, Ireland. Just kidding, everybody. We're not broadcasting from Dublin, Ireland today. I'm, I'm broadcasting from the same place I always do. And I am uh, recording this uh, episode of the podcast on Christmas Day, actually, 2022. Because even on Christmas Day, I do not rest. I continue to do this work. Why? Because this was the one free day this week that I actually had to do this work. I was uh, pretty much busy every other day with either work or responsibilities of some particular kind or whatever, what have you. I'm one of those unusual podcasters who actually uh, puts in the time and does the work on Christmas Day. And on a Sunday, no less. That's like a double threat. I am a, I am a dangerous, dangerous man. I hope you enjoy the previous episode of the podcast, as I hope you enjoy this episode that we are about to enter into. We are going to have Dr. Franklin back on the podcast as a guest. We are going to go live to 1775, and we are going to hear from the good doctor. He is leaving at, at long last. He is leaving London and Great Britain. He's coming back, back to America. The road trip of road trips in 1775. He is going to travel all the way from London by ship back to the United States. And then, of course, eventually he's going to make his way to the United States, or excuse me, the Continental Congress. I keep wanting to say the United States Congress. No, Uh, Dr. Franklin, unfortunately, is not in the United States Congress. He never was. If he had been, maybe it wouldn't be the complete and total dumpster fire that it is today. But unfortunately, again, we don't have Dr. Franklin to, uh, talk us into the uh, the realm of sanity, so we have to, at least not uh, in the modern day, so we have to go back in time. We have to hop in the time machine, we have to go back, and we have to listen to what Dr. Franklin said 250 years ago. But that's a good thing. That's almost, that's almost as good as having him around today. The same thing with John Adams and George Washington and those guys. It's almost as good as having them around today, uh, just reading the letters that they wrote. That's what we do here. And so I hope everybody's having a... Uh, or by the time you listen to this, I hope you would have had a, a good uh, Christmas day. Looking forward to the New Year, maybe. Or maybe not, who knows. To me, personally, it's really just another day on the calendar, New Year's Day. Uh, I don't really think about New Year's as being anything particularly special or exciting or, or whatever. It, it's literally just a day on the calendar. It's kind of an arbitrary line that we drew on the calendar. Like, this is where we're going to start our new year as we record these things as we go. And it has some value. I mean, as far as a timeline goes, that's how we know that so we have these references like 1775 and 1776 is because we mark these New Year's off as we go. And as the, the solar cycle spins around and the Earth, you know, goes through its various rotations, it helps us to understand that. But aside from that, just another day on the calendar to me. And thank you for tuning into this podcast. Uh, thank you for sharing the podcast with folks that you know to get the word out about the podcast. I know that's difficult, by the way. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Uh, the, the the things that I do to try to drive people away from this podcast, I, it's not like I try to do that. But I, I say things on this podcast that are hugely unpopular and are very easily misunderstood uh, to the TLDR crowd out there. Uh, the TLDR crowd is a problematic group of folks. Um 
it is my earnest hope that at some point that changes, that the TLDR crowd kind of does an about-face 180 degrees and starts, you know, running, screaming in the opposite direction of where they're going right now, which is straight into the uh, the land of stupidity. But I, I really don't think that that's going to be the case because there's just too much entertainment value to be had down that road and not enough entertainment value to be had down the road that we walk down. But uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, these things that I say, and there's probably a collection of them at this point. Uh, things like, you know, this is the podcast where democracy goes to die. It's like, who says that on their podcast? I mean, if they're trying to make their podcast up appealing to a broad range of society, who in the world says stuff like that? Uh, or things like, you know, voting is dangerous, and the people who don't understand history are dangerous people. Uh, th things of that nature, uh, or, or people. This uh, the one I thought about the other day that I need to expand on. Actually, I was thinking I was going to do another episode on this, the um, or at least uh, part of an episode on this one. This concept of the people who don't support the Bill of Rights are really just secessionists. They're trying to secede from the United States Constitution, which is true, by the way. It's a hundred percent factual. But you know, you stay, you say stuff like that. And the TLDR crowd comes in and listens to, like, an episode of this podcast. They're like, huh, what's this podcast? Let me listen to an episode of this. And then they hear this guy on the other end of the microphone talking about democracy should die and uh, people who uh, people who vote are dangerous people, <laughs> or uh, some people who vote are dangerous people. Or more specifically, voting is dangerous. Not necessarily the people, but um, the voting itself is a, is a dangerous thing to do. It's, a, it's, like a, it's, like, it's a tool. Uh, it's like it's like it's like a hammer. If you don't wield that thing properly, you could hurt somebody. Um, so I, I, you know, in, in an, an uninformed person on the other end of that hammer, I guess you could, by extension, say that they're they're a dangerous person. But more specifically, the hammer itself is dangerous. And when you swing that thing, you better darn well know what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going you're going to hurt yourself, or you're going to hurt the people around you, or both. And that's what I mean when I say voting is dangerous. But, you know, it does have this side effect, me saying these things. And I believe all these things are 100% truthful. But me saying these things, it isn't exactly what I would say is a, a stellar advertisement for this podcast. So it is a very difficult thing that we do trying to get people to listen to reality. Um, and I know that um, some of you folks out there who listen to this podcast, you do the yeoman's work, which is another way of saying that you uh, you do a lot of work trying to get the word out about the podcast and share it with folks. And I really appreciate that. Uh, especially, like I said, under the difficult circumstances that it is to do that with a podcast like this, because uh, this is not the warm and fuzzy podcast. And I, th I think actually that person I was talking to the other day mentioned that specifically. Uh, it was it was that in conjunction with the the Disney World Fantasyland crowd, I, the references that I make to that, and they they asked me, "Is like, are you just are you just like adamantly against a uh, Disneyland or Disney World or Disney generally speaking? Do you think this is a problem?" And I, and I said, "No, of course not. There's not really a problem with it per se." It's it's the um, it's if you build your whole world around that, if you build your whole life around Fantasyland and Disney World, then it's a problem. Uh, it's it's when it becomes a lifestyle that it's a problem because then reality doesn't really have any place to seep into your life except where it's just completely unavoidable. That's what I mean when I say stuff like that. And unfortunately, the more delicate members of society have a hard time understanding that perhaps and where I'm coming from, but. Oh well, if they if they listen to more than one episode of the podcast, they'll probably they'll probably get it at some point. But all of that to say, you know, this is a very difficult podcast for some folks to listen to. But uh, so all the more reason why I appreciate those folks out there who actually do and withstand the the withering barrage of statements that I make trying to draw attention to things. 
because um, it's re- it really is hard to argue against the fact that voting is dangerous. I mean, once you re- once you get that out there, once you fire that concept out into the ether, some somebody can come along and try to say, "Oh no, voting is not dangerous." But it, as soon as they start making that argument and trying to defend that that stance, I don't know how you do that without sounding like an idiot. I really don't. The problem is, is we don't even get to that point where we have that debate because nobody will say it. Because we, we, we think of voting as like this sacred right that every human being on the planet should have. And maybe that's right, but it's not a sacred right as much as it is a sacred responsibility. It's a tool. A vote is a tool. And if you don't swing that hammer in the right direction, or you don't know what you're doing when you swing that hammer, the opportunity to harm another human being is right there the whole time. And again, yet we, we hand these tools out like they're toilet paper. And toilet paper is not nearly as dangerous as a hammer. But voting is a hammer. It's not toilet paper. Like, but that's how we treat it. In the United States, we treat voting like it's toilet paper. And this, in my humble opinion, is a problem. Anyway, if somebody wants me to elaborate on that a little bit more, I think I covered that a lot. And I mentioned this again only because somebody somebody talked to me about it recently. And I thought I might mention it again in, in conjunction with the, you know, the things that I say that really drive people away from this podcast, just because I think it's fun. If anybody wants me to elaborate on that, you know, the whole voting thing being dangerous and it being a tool and a responsibility more so than a right, I'm happy to talk about it. You know, leave a review on the podcast on Apple Podcasts and say, hey, Roman, can you elaborate on that for us so we have uh, some ammunition to take to the field? And metaphorically speaking, so that we have some ammunition to take to the field to talk to people about how dangerous voting is and that it's a responsibility instead of a right. I mean, it is a right. Don't get me wrong. It is a right, kind of. But if I, if you're if you're balancing this out on the scale of rights versus responsibilities, voting is much more of a responsibility than it is a right, in my opinion. Some reasonable people can disagree with me on that one and, you know, continue to hand out voting like it's toilet paper. But I have a problem with that, which, again, is why I say things like the voting age should be raised to 25. Uh, because when you start handing it out to 18-year-olds, that's, that's you know, like I said, you're, you're, you're treating voting like it's toilet paper. Because, you know, you put you put that tool into the hands of an 18-year-old, probably not the smartest thing this country's ever done. It's actually probably pretty stupid. But it's just one, the, it's one of the latest things in a long line of stupid that this country has done. But I, I, I believe that it can be fixed. We just got to actually try to fix it. So all of that said, we're going to get into this episode of the podcast. I'm done with my preamble. I'm done with my rant. Uh, in case you, uh, in case you're curious, when when is, when is Roman gonna finally shut up about this and get on with the podcast? Well, here we go. Uh, we're gonna get back to Dr. Franklin, and this is actually a really good episode. Uh, Dr. Franklin leaving London. We've been waiting for this. We've been wondering when it's gonna happen. We know he's coming back. When the heck is he? When the heck was he gonna come back? We were all the way up into January and February of 1775, and he's still not back. The war is right there. It's on the horizon. We can practically see it from here. And Dr. Franklin is in this dangerous position in London. When is he going to leave? Good news, he's finally getting on the boat. Uh, Perhaps because he sees the writing on the wall and he's like, I got to get out of Dodge. So let's get into it with Dr. Franklin and his exodus from London. Let's do that right now. I tell you what, some of the trials and tribulations of recording a podcast, it's all kinds of stuff, background noise, um, you know, Previously, I've had, you know, low-flying aircraft. Uh, I, I live not terribly far away from a military installation, and it was, you know, I don't know whether it was Black Hawk helicopters and other things. Of course, then you have the uh, the actual, you know, fixed-wing aircraft flying over your head on a semi-regular basis. It's um, And then uh, lately, it's dogs barking and, and, you know, next door and things of that nature. Because, you know, things about the dogs barking, if I, I don't know if, 
should I go off on a rant about this? I'm not going to. Don't worry. I've done my rant for the day. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna put this out there. It's like the the, the people who leave their dog outside like permanently. Like they go out and they get a dog, family pet, wonderful thing. They go out and get a dog and they just kind of throw the dog outside and leave it there forever. I mean, they feed and water the dog. Don't get me wrong. But the dog's just kind of always out there. Never really goes inside. It's just kind of there. Anyway, and it's just one of those things. So let's get into the let's get into the letters and see what our good friend Dr. Franklin has to say about leaving London. Listen to listen to some commentary here about this. And let us begin with a letter that uh, was written from a doc from Dr. Franklin to a Charles Thompson on March the 13th of 1775. This was written from London, so he's still there for now, getting ready to get on the boat. And I quote, I flatter myself that neither New York nor any other colony will be cajoled into a separation from the common interest. Our safety is in the firmest union and keeping strict faith with each other. If any colony suffers itself to be detached from the common cause by the artful management of ministers, that colony will first incur the detestation of the rest. And when that is become the case... And none can be concerned at any ill usage it may receive. It will be on some pretense or other be treated just as roughly as the others whom it had so basely abandoned. With great esteem, I am, sir, your most obedient, humble servant, Benjamin Franklin. End quote. I'll read that, that this, this very good section one more time. Quote, Our only safety is in the firmest union and keeping strict faith with each other. If any colony suffers itself to be detached from the common cause by the artful management of ministers, that col- colony will first incur the detestation of the rest, end quote. Common cause. Okay, so, so riddle me this. What is the common cause? The common cause of liberty, the Constitution, their sacred rights. All of these things that we've been talking about. And he says our only safety is in the firmest union, keeping strict faith with each other. And he was right about that. Of course, King George III and the Parliament, they're going to try to divide General Gage with his soldiers, his dishonorable, disloyal, despicable soldiers who should have been tried for war crimes and hanged, by the way. And if they could have, if they, if the colonists could have gotten to General Gage, They should have dragged that guy out of his headquarters by his hair, if he had any, maybe drag him out by his feet, and try that dishonorable individual for treason, for sending his troops against against what basically amounted to British subjects, and if found guilty, and he was clearly guilty, by the way, they they would have had him dead to rights, either hang him or shoot him by firing squad, because he was trying to divide the colonies, and he was trying to do it with military force. In a most dishonorable way, by sending regular soldiers against British subjects, which would be like the United States military being used against American citizens. Or the German military being used against German subjects. Oh, wait, they already did that. That was uh, the 1930s and 40s. Or the Chinese military being used against Chinese subjects. Oh, wait, yeah, they already did that one. They did it basically every day of the year from the 1940s all the way up until the present day, in one form or another. These things happen on a semi-regular basis. And yes, the British have done it, the Germans have done it, the Japanese have done it, the Koreans have done it, North Korea mostly. The Koreans have done it, Vietnam has done it, China's done it, the list goes on, Russians, the list goes on and on and on and on. And again, as historians, amateur historians such as we are, I see this kind of stuff continue to happen again. I've seen it happen throughout history for the last 10,000 years or so, and I ask myself, when the heck is this ever going to end? When are these governments going to get tired of killing and murdering their own people? And the answer to the question is, they aren't. 
which is why it's so valuable for us to listen to Dr. Franklin here and his message. So he believes that the colonies should stay united. And of course, they are trying to do that through the Continental Congress. They're trying to come together, maintain a firm stance together, and a, and a clear and unified message to the king. And that's why the Declaration of Independence, of course, this is later on, but the Declaration of Independence is the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States. Unanimous, ladies and gentlemen. And signed by the delegates to the Continental Congress the representatives of the several colonies, and eventually the representatives of the several states. And they must remain unified, or they, uh, they will die. They will be cut off. They will be isolated. Isolate and alienate. Boy, this principle goes back a long time. Have you heard that recently, isolate and alienate? Has anybody said that, like, in recent times that you can think of? Like, maybe beginning mostly in the 1960s and 70s or something like that? I don't know. Trying to use that against the American people. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Anyway, so you isolate, you alienate the colonies, and you destroy them. Divided. Divided we will fall. United we will stand. America has tried to live that principle since all the way back then, when Dr. Franklin said, this is what we need to do. You wonder where these sentiments come from. Divided we fall, united we stand. They go all the way back to Dr. Franklin and others. And so we must stay true to that. And we must not be detached from the common cause. And what our common cause back then was the same as it is today. What should be our common cause today? Why shouldn't we allow ourselves to be divided? Why should we keep the strictest faith with each other, as Dr. Franklin suggests that we do? Because this is not just advice for the colonies in 1775. This is advice for the United States of America in 2023 and beyond. Dr. Franklin is speaking to us. He's talking to you. You. Yes, you. And he's talking to the politicians even. Today, all across this country, in every state house, in every city council, and even in the general government. Are any of them listening? Yeah, probably about 2 or 3% of them are listening. The rest of them are basically giving Dr. Franklin the finger. They're flipping him the bird. They don't care. So that's why you have to care. That's why I have to care. Listen to Dr. Franklin. And I'll tell you what, a common cause that we probably should not be detached from? Why don't we just start with something basic? I mean, we can get to the complex ancient rights and the sacred constitutions and all the rest of it that Dr. Franklin was talking about, going all the way back to the Magna Carta and beyond. We can go into all that. Why don't we just stay true to just, why don't we start with just the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution? Can we stay true to that? Can we not be detached from that common cause? Can we say that the, the Bill of Rights is our common cause today? and not be divided from that. Because this country, the United States of America, can't even pull that off today. They could pull it off back in 1776, and 1787, and 1791. But for some reason today, Americans find this to be a bridge too far. Which is why I say that they're flipping, you know, Dr. Franklin the bird. And why I say things like anybody, and I mean anybody who does not stand resolute on the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution is a secessionist. And they should be treated like a secessionist. And they should be talked to like they are a secessionist. As surely as this was 1861 or 2023 or whatever. I don't care. It's all the same thing and it's all the same kind of people. It's always the same kind of people. I have little patience for this. This constant ignoring of the advice of Dr. Franklin. What kind of government do we have? A republic, if you can keep it. The devil may make it profitable, but God himself cannot make it honorable. Our only safety is in the firmest union and keeping strict faith with each other. If any colony suffers itself to be detached from the common cause by the artful management of ministers, that colony will first incur the detestation of the rest. These are all things that he said about our republic. 
about the various crimes committed by politicians and this problem that America has with maintaining some strict allegiance to the most basic, basic ideals which bind us together. Because if we don't believe in the Bill of Rights, we don't believe in the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom of assembly, the freedom to petition, the freedom of the press, and if we don't believe in the Second Amendment, and the Third, and the Fourth, and the Fifth, and the Sixth, and the Seventh, and the Eighth Amendment about fines and penalties and cruel and unusual punishment, if we don't believe in any of all that, if we're just going to cast it aside and be detached from our common cause, we might want to hop in a time machine and go back to 1865 and apologized to all those soldiers who died in a civil war to try to affect those rights and those liberties across the whole of the population. Not just a select few, but the whole of the population. Because 700,000 men died, and God knows how many brutally tortured and mutilated. I believe there's a cemetery, several actually, where Civil War veterans are buried, if you, don't, if you believe in being detached from our common cause and you don't believe in supporting the Bill of Rights, you can go to that cemetery and urinate on the graves if you want to, because that's what you're doing. If you don't support the First Amendment, that's what you're doing. If you don't support the Second Amendment, that's what you're doing. Yes, I just said it. Because you really can't have the one without the other. You really can't have the one without the second. And if you don't believe that, go to any country in the world where there is no Second Amendment and try to find the First Amendment. Good luck. You don't have to go very far. Just travel across the northern border and try to find the First Amendment somewhere up there, anywhere up there. You will not find it. Oh, you'll find people talk about something similar. You'll find, you'll find, you'll find people kind of ranting about something similar, but you will not find it. You'll find plenty of evidence of it not existing at all and people being punished because of what they say. Plenty of evidence of people being punished for doing nothing more than purely speaking their mind. And you'll find the same thing in Britain. You'll find the same thing in mainland Europe. And on and on again. And you'll find the same thing in China. And you will find the same thing in North Korea. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? And why don't we want to talk about that very much? It's not my message, by the way. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said 250 years ago. It's the founding fathers that are saying this. It's not me. I wish this was my message. I wish I was this smart. I am not. Compared to the Founding Fathers, I am dumber than a bag of hammers, which is why I am simply bringing their message here. Our only safety is in the firmest union, keeping strict faith with each other. We mustn't be detached from the common cause. Common cause. Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights, Constitution, common cause. This is Dr. Franklin speaking. It is not me. And if you think my rantings and ravings about the Second Amendment are me, it's modern America, it's modern Roman, it's modern whatever, it's not. Go back in the episodes and listen again to all of the letters written by John Adams and William Tudor and many others. Because if the Founding Fathers had not had that right, there would be no Declaration of Independence. You can write that document all day long. If you don't have the ability to enforce it, if you don't have the ability to fight for it, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. So let's stay true to our common cause, like Dr. Franklin says. Why not? Now let's continue with a further talk from Dr. Franklin about what we should do, about what the colonies should do, because they're one and the same. You know, the things that we need to do to keep our liberty is the same thing that the colonies needed to do to keep their liberty back in the day. It's just maintain a strict adherence, the strongest union we possibly can. Faith with each other, and don't be detached from the common cause. Because as soon as we break the union, and we lose our faith with each other, we will become detached from the common cause. They will pick us off, and they will take us out, as surely as the sun will come up tomorrow. Just as surely as General Gage 
And those dishonorable soldiers who should have been taken out back and killed were trying to do that to the people of Massachusetts. Now, let us continue this letter. This is actually a a new letter. Uh, This one's going to be from Benjamin Franklin, of course, written to a Humphrey Marshall on March the 13th of 1775, again from London. And I quote, The controversy will soon end in our favor, notwithstanding the present measures. If America is steady in the non-consumption agreement, all the hopes and dependence of the ministry are in dividing us by working upon our fears and hopes. If we are faithful to each other, our adversaries are ruined. I am with much esteem, sir, your most obedient, humble servant, Benjamin Franklin. End quote. Boy, there's two different letters to two different people talking about the same thing on the same day. Clearly, Dr. Franklin had something on his mind this day, and he wanted to convey it. Must have been an important message. But the way I look at it, this letter was not just written to Humphrey Marshall on March 13th of 1775. This letter might as well have been written to the United States of America on December 25th of 2022, the day I'm recording this podcast. Because Dr. Franklin is right. The King of England, King George III, his parliament, General Gage, and those terrorist soldiers that he had under his command, yes, I said it, they were doing exactly what Dr. Franklin is describing here. Quote, All the hopes and dependence of the ministry are in dividing us by working upon our fears and hopes. End quote. Why do you think so much of the intolerable acts was directed at Massachusetts? It was trying to break Massachusetts off from the rest of the colonies, isolate, alienate, divide, and conquer. But make no mistake, as Dr. Franklin has implied and practically directly said so many times before, if they succeed in breaking off Massachusetts from the rest of the colonies and destroying it in oppressing it, they will then proceed to the rest of the colonies and do the same. Any slight, any insult of the king by the colonies will then be taken to be the kind of action that instigates a military dictatorship being set up in that colony, a person such as General Gage being deployed with soldiers to then go out and murder and assault the people of the colony. Dr. Franklin could see this coming a mile down the road. Why? Because he was a very intelligent man, that's why. He's the wise old man in the room. He's not a freaking idiot. And neither was John Adams. John Adams was a brilliant man. And he could see this coming a mile down the road, too. Do, Do you remember the letters that he wrote about this kind of stuff? Quote, If we are faithful to each other... Our adversaries are ruined, end quote, faithful to each other. Some people may not understand why the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America is so important, why that freedom of speech is so important. It may offend their delicate sensibilities that, quote unquote, hate speech, whatever the heck that means, because it could mean anything, anything on any given day of the week. It could change from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. Hate speech could literally mean anything. It may offend their delicate sensibilities that hate speech is included as free speech, but but even if they don't support that kind of speech, whatever that means, and depending on what it means, I either do or don't support it, because again, the definition changes every day. And that's, by the way, why governments love hate speech laws, because this is like 1984-style stuff. It can be constantly redefined and changed and mixed up whenever they want, and it can literally be made to mean whatever they want. It it has no definition of any substance whatsoever. But some people may not understand that exactly. They may not understand why people should be allowed to speak their mind. But if they are faithful to their fellow American, quote, if we are faithful to each other, our adversaries are ruined, end quote. Just trust in the First Amendment, for Pete's sake. How hard is this? 
You think you you think hate hate speech is a new thing? You think it wasn't around in 1775 or 1776 or 1791, for example? 1791, anybody? Of course it was. Of course it was. So why the heck didn't the Founding Fathers put something against hate speech in the Constitution of the United States? Why did they just put some blanket guarantee in there about freedom of speech and assembly and petition? Why did they do And freedom of the press. Why did they do it? And religion, by the way, too. Let's not forget about that. Why did they do it? Why is it such just a blanket guarantee in there? Why? Because they knew that any exception to that would be used, manipulated, twisted, by the government, by politicians specifically. I keep saying the government, but really at the end of the day, what it is, is politicians. The politicians have always been and always will be the problem. It's not government necessarily that is the problem. It's the people behind it, the people running it from the top, the politicians. They've always been the problem, always will be the problem, and that will never change for 10,000 years. It was a problem 10,000 years ago, and it will be a problem 10,000 years from now. But the Founding Fathers knew that they would manipulate it. They knew that they would twist it. Just like we see north of the border. Am I being too blunt? It's why this thing called the United States of America and that Bill of Rights is so unique in the world. And it's why other governments don't like the Bill of Rights. Other governments around the world, they hate the Bill of Rights. There's a reason why they don't have it. They don't have it because they know that they don't want that kind of freedom. They want to be able to manipulate. They want to be able to oppress. They want to be able to harm their people whenever they darn well please. And they darn well can't do that with a Bill of Rights that tells them they can't. They don't want their people to be able to point to anything and say, these are our sacred rights. This is what unites us. This is our fundamental principle. You cannot go there. They don't want their people to be able to point to that in Great Britain today. In 2022-2023. They, they don't want their people to be able to point to that. Do you think the Germans wanted the Jews in Germany in the 1930s and 40s to be able to point to a Bill of Rights and say, See, you can't do this to us. Of course they didn't. So they didn't have one. And whatever, whatever, whatever farcical representation they did have of some rights were easily washed away. And therein lies the problem with democracy, by the way. Because in a democracy, your rights are easily washed away by the majority. You don't even need 51% of the people to erase every single right that you have. You only need 50.0001% of the population to wipe away all of your rights. That's why democracy is evil. And democracy must be destroyed. Wherever you find it, in general government, it must be destroyed and completely eliminated. Because a democracy is a nation of men, not laws. And the twisted ideology, paranoia, and fear... And anger and hatred of the population rules the day instead of law and order. Democracy is a pestilence, just as John Adams described it. He used that word, pestilence. I read it on this podcast, quoted it on this podcast. Go back in the episodes, you will find it. What is a pestilence? It's a, it's a disease. It's a plague upon mankind. What do you do with a disease? A plague, like Black Plague, for example, back in the day. The Bubonic Plague. Somebody might take issue with calling it the Black Plague these days, you never know. The Bubonic Plague. Try to stamp it out wherever you find it, because it can kill a lot of people. Just like democracy. You try to stamp it out wherever you find it, because it can kill a lot of people. Yes, I said it. Now, how many people on, on, on any other podcast are ever going to tell you that? Probably darn few. Because they don't have the stones to do it, or they don't have the intellectual fortitude to do it. And they haven't done the research. They haven't gone back and listened to the Founding Fathers and listened to them describe democracy as a pestilence. Or Benjamin Franklin talk about the virtues of a republic versus a democracy. They haven't done it because they don't care to do it. Because there's other things. And because they've listened to the lies since they were born, telling them that this country is a democracy. It was a lie 50 years ago when people were saying it. 
It was a lie a hundred years ago when people were saying it, and it's a lie today. Because a democracy is defined by division. And what is Dr. Franklin trying to tell us here? Quote, All the hopes and dependence of the ministry are in dividing us by working upon our fears and hopes. End quote. America must remain, remain united to be able to fight against the King of England and the Parliament. This is a great force they're up against. This is no small thing. This was such a monumental task, the Founding Fathers really didn't have much to lean on to say that they could win in a fight to defend their liberty and their freedom except to remain united in common cause and not to be divided by fears and hopes. And you notice how he says both. Quote, And dependents of the ministry are in dividing us by working upon our fears and hopes. End quote. Hopes. Why does he say hopes? Why doesn't he just say fears? Dividing us based on our fears. I mean, somebody once said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. What's this thing about hopes? Why does he include this word right there? Why? What is, what is it about that word that Dr. Franklin specifically chose to include with fears as being dangerous sources of division? Something to think about. Anybody ever come along recently and promise you hope? I'll say that again. That's a question. Has anybody ever come along recently, in your recent memory, and promised you hope? How do they do that? How did, how did Lenin do it in 1917? He was promising the people hope as well. Vladimir Ilyevich Ulyanov, a.k.a. Lenin. Because all of these guys went by fictitious names, by the way. Stalin was not his name. Lenin was not his name. They promised hope. Did they deliver hope? Really? Why, 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 how in the world does a guy like Lenin or a guy like Stalin find themselves in power, playing on people's hopes? Dr. Franklin is telling you something here. If you listen, you, you have to kind of quiet your mind, and you have to listen very closely. Shh, listen. Dr. Franklin is trying to tell you something here. Sometimes in just a single word, in a single sentence, in a paragraph, you will see something that should spark... An intellectual debate within your own mind. What should I be paying attention to here? Okay, I know about the fears. We all know about the fears. We have nothing to fear but fear itself, said the old man. Okay, but what's this thing about hope? What's he talking about? Why is this something we need to be careful of? Why is this something we need to be worried about? Hope can lead you down a dangerous path. You know, I, I really wish the people of 1917 in Russia would have taken a little bit more time to just crack open a frickin' book and read it instead of hoping that Vladimir Ilyevich Ulyanov was actually being honest with them and was going to bring hope and was going to change Russia for the better, which, of course, he wasn't. He was going to deliver the people from slavery to slavery, not from slavery to emancipation, not from slavery to freedom. He was going to deliver them from slavery to slavery, and he was going to do it on a boat called Hope. Imagine a giant boat. Think of the Titanic and just scrub the name Titanic off of the side of it and just put hope on the side of it. And the Titanic is an opportune example because that thing sank and killed a great many of the people on it. And the rest of the people suffered greatly as a result of what happened. And isn't that exactly what we're talking about when we talk about 1917 in Russia? Vladimir and the boys came in with a fistful of hope. And the people of Russia got a baseball bat upside the head and buried under a mountain of slavery. You just can't make this stuff up. It's almost like Dr. Franklin knows what he's talking about. Shocking. So why don't we talk about this in history class in high school? Why the heck isn't this letter and every other letter I have ever read broadcasted by a frickin' loudspeaker across every high school history class in the frickin' country? Uh, because we don't have any time for the history department. You know, we got so many other things in public school we need to pay attention to. That darn music class just keeps getting in the way. Interesting. But yes, 
Proof positive. You can be delivered into slavery on a ship called Hope. You ever see that movie called La Amistad? It was the, the name of a slave ship back in the day. You might as well just rename that ship Hope. Just imagine that. Because there are people in this world, and they go by the name of Vladimir Ilyevich Ulyanov, who will deliver you into slavery on a ship called Hope. And most people can't see it coming because they haven't cracked open a history book and read it. Which is why this podcast is so valuable. Which is why podcasts like it are so valuable. Or, like I said, if if, if the people that you talk to about this podcast and you say, Hey, you should listen to this podcast about, uh, about the history of the Founding Fathers, the letters from our Founding Fathers, because there's great wisdom in there from Dr. Franklin, amongst others, about what, what unites us and how we should stay united instead of divided. And we should stick to a common cause like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. If they won't, if they won't listen to this podcast, then direct them straight to the letters themselves. Direct them to the books written by Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and people like them. And they can spend the next 10 to 20 years of their life just reading the books and the letters. Or they can spend an hour a week listening to this podcast in the car. Probably a lot easier to do that. Because the message that they will get here, as I put it into a context for them, because, I mean, because on the surface, I mean, I could, I could read this paragraph to you. I could read this paragraph about controversy and non-consumption and hopes and fears and so on and so forth. But, it, you know, it really can ring hollow without the context around it, which is why I mentioned 1917 and the hope of one Vladimir Ilyevich Ulyanov. And how that delivered an entire nation into slavery. And it got, I forget the numbers, I mean, the numbers vary wildly depending on what source I go to, but they are definitely somewhere between 11 and 20 million people dead by the hands of that government. Now, I'm not even talking about the people that were killed in World War II by enemy action. There's another 20 million people, roughly. And there's actually another story about how governments kill their own people. I mean, the fact that the Russians lost, or the Soviets lost, 20, 20 million people, roughly, in World War II, was that because the German army was just so good at killing people? In part, yes. But the other, the other, that's only half the story. The other half of the story is a story of how the Soviets were so good at getting their own people killed through stupidity. So if you love the Soviet system and you love the communist system, I mean, you can compare and contrast the 500,000 dead Americans in World War II versus the 20 million in, in the Soviet Union. Now, by and large, the Soviet Union fought the war for longer, and they were right there on the border with the Germans. I got it. But believe me, a great many more Americans would have died if it wasn't for just the way that the United States does, does things. A great many more. It probably would have been something on the order of at least a couple three million people. At least. And I say that because if the United States was run more like the Soviet Union, there's no way the nuclear bombs would have been built. They just wouldn't have been able to do it. I know that because the Soviet Union wasn't able to do it. And the only way they could do it was to steal the technology from us. Try invading Japan without nuclear weapons. Good luck with that. Just sit back and watch as, you know, a few million Americans are killed in the process and probably, you know, 10, 20 million Japanese. As I get off topic, I tend to do that when I start ranting about tyranny and just how stupid it is and how these governments marching their people into slavery. It's just, it's so evil and it's so despicable to treat people that way. I know I never do get tired of pointing it out, just how evil and stupid it is. It's just the, the throwing of human life down the toilet. That's why I so prize the United States of America, and I so prize what Dr. Franklin was talking about, because if you, may, if you hold true to these principles, you can avoid all that crap. It's so simple and so easy, it's almost unbelievable once you really understand it. It's almost unbelievable how easy it is. You just have to avoid the same pitfalls that people have fallen into for 10,000 years. And you do that 
by reading history and understanding how, how to avoid the mistakes. But some people just can't do it, like the Russians in 1917. Of course, most of them were probably functionally illiterate, so it's probably hard for them to crack open a history book. But now that I'm done complaining about the various tyrannies from the past and trying to connect what Dr. Franklin was saying about fears and hopes with the, uh, the, the ship that uh, Vladimir Lenin built, along with his good buddies Stalin and Trotsky and the rest of them, Let's uh let's get back to what Dr. Franklin uh was continuing to talk about on his uh on his way out the door in uh in 1775. I'm going to read you a, a letter from Dr. Benjamin Franklin to a uh, Lord Kames, uh, written on March 14th of 1775, written again from London. And I quote, "Purposing to embark for America in a few days, I cannot depart without taking leave of my dear Lord Kames, to whose civilities and friendship I have been so much obliged." and for whom I shall ever retain the sincerest esteem and affection. I congratulate you cordially on the success of your last work. It does you great honor. I hear it everywhere well spoken of. I almost envy the abilities you continue to possess of instructing, delighting, and being useful at so late a period in life, of still going through so much business with so much ease to yourself, and of employing your leisure so advantageously to others. May every kind of facility attend you and your good lady in the sincerest parting wish of your affectionate and most obedient humble servant, Benjamin Franklin, end quote. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you write a letter. And this is why I say, reading the letters that these gentlemen wrote, and gentle ladies wrote, from this time period, it makes reading anything posted on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter look like the chicken scratches of cavemen. And you can, you can begin to see, you know, people talk about evolution like it works in some continuing timeline. Things continue to evolve and better themselves over time as the years and as the years, weeks and months go on, so on and so forth. We can see clearly in society that that is not the case, that people do regress, people do de-evolve. And it has everything to do with the proper instruction, discipline and education of the young people in society. Benjamin Franklin was educated according to a certain principle. John Adams was educated according to a certain principle, as was his son, John Quincy Adams, who we read a letter from in the previous episode of the podcast. And you could gauge the eloquence of the man in his writing, and just how far people had come in their ability to convey a sentiment, an idea, a thought, a feeling. And you can see how far we have fallen since, how much we have de-evolved since. Now, here's a question for you. If we have de-evolved in our writing, which I would contest that we have, now, reasonable people can disagree with me. You know, if you're an English composition professor or something of that nature and you want to disagree with me on this, you can just segue over into the podcast here, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and tell me how I'm 180 degrees wrong and I don't know what I'm talking about. And then you can give me some examples from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that demonstrate the eloquence of modern society compared to Dr. Franklin. And then I will be put in my place. But something tells me you're going to have a real, real ridiculous time trying to accomplish that particular goal. But anyway, I'll ask a question. If we have so clearly devolved in our writing and our ability to convey a sentiment, a thought, a feeling, as I, as I would contest that we have, and I'm guilty of this as well, have I been educated sufficiently to be able to convey a message as eloquently as a Dr. Franklin or John Adams? Absolutely not. That's something that I continue to work on. That's something that I need to continue to work on. But if we have devolved in this manner, have we devolved in any other way? Has there been a de-evolution, a regressing of society in any other way other than this? And is that a problem? I mean, heck, even our best politicians, I mean, quote-unquote, our best, whatever that means, can't communicate like a Dr. Franklin. I mean, look at just look at what they post online. Look at the kind of crap that comes out of these people's mouths. 
some of the, there's a couple of them that talk fairly, you know, uh, intelligently and eloquent, I guess would be the way that I would describe them. But the rest of them, eh, not so much. Because they're really no different than you and me. I, they were they were raised in the same system, the same society. Of course, the difference is they're they're filled with they're 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 largely filled with some kind of a a partisan vitriol and hatred that really comes out in just about everything that they say. As opposed to somebody like myself, who's not really filled with partisan vitriol and hatred, I am, uh, however, filled with a, a rather thick disdain for anybody who stands against the uh, Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. But at least those are solid principles on which somebody could build their life, unlike the partisan vitriol and hatred that really is just nothing more than the uh, the random rantings of political lunatics. But I just wanted to point that out. I, I just, I, every once in a while I stop and I, I just marvel at Dr. Franklin's ability to just, you know, write a letter. He wrote very well, and as did most of the Founding Fathers, by the way. There's some exceptions to that. I've read some that are a little bit, you know, offbeat, but this one's pretty good, as, as is just about everything that Dr. Franklin wrote, by the way. He's had a lot of time to practice, though. I mean, he, like I said, he's getting up there in the years. But Franklin is leaving. So he says here, quote, purposing to embark for America in a few days, end quote. And I have it on good authority that he actually left London on March the 20th of 1775. And this was written on March the 14th of 1775. And by the way, we are we are right on the eve of war. He couldn't have left soon enough. I mean, any any, any later than this, and he would have been probably in trouble. Because the war starts literally in just a little bit more than a month. It is on the way, ladies and gentlemen. Let us read this last letter that I have for you today. It's a little bit more lengthy than the others. This was something that was written as... Uh, a message to Lord Dartmouth on March the 16th of 1775. And again, keep in mind as I read this letter that Dr. Franklin is on his way out the door. So he may be wanting to say something that he has not said thus far, or at least not quite so clearly as he's going to say in this letter. And I quote, To the Right Honorable the Earl of Dartmouth, one of His Majesty's Principal Secretaries of State, a memorial from Benjamin Franklin, agent of the province of Massachusetts Bay, given in London, this 16th day of March, 1775. Whereas an injury done can only give the party injured a right to full reparation, or in case that be refused, a right to return an equal injury. And whereas the blockade of Boston now continued, nine months hath every week of its continuance done damage to that town equal to what was suffered there by the India Company. It follows that such exceeding damage is an injury done by this government for which reparation ought to be made. And whereas reparation of injuries ought always, agreeable to the custom of all nations, savage as well as civilized, to be first required before satisfaction is taken by a return of damage to the aggressors, which was not done by Great Britain in the instance above mentioned. I, the underwritten, do therefore, as their agent, and in behalf of my country, and the said town of Boston protest against the continuance of the said blockade, and I do hereby solemnly demand satisfaction for the accumulated injury done them beyond the value of the India Company's tea destroyed. And whereas the conquest of the Gulf of St. Lawrence, the coasts of Labrador and Nova Scotia, and the fisheries possessed by the French there, and on the banks of Newfoundland, so far as they were more extended than at present, was made by the joint forces of Britain and the colonies, the latter having nearly an equal number of men in that service, which the former, it follows that the colonies have an equitable and just right to participate in the advantage of those fisheries. I do therefore, in the behalf of the colony of Massachusetts Bay, protest against the act now under consideration in Parliament for depriving that province which others of that fishery on pretense of their refusing to purchase British commodities as an act highly unjust and injurious. 
and I give notice that satisfaction will probably one day be demanded for all the injury that may be done and suffered in the execution of such act, and that the injustice of the proceeding is likely to give such umbrage to all the colonies, that in no future war wherein other conquests may be mediated, either a man or a shilling will be obtained from any of them to aid such conquests till full satisfaction be made as aforesaid, Benjamin Franklin, end quote. Geez, Dr. Franklin, tell us how you really feel. And he just ends the letter, Benjamin Franklin. It wasn't the usual uh, conclusion, you know, you're, you're obedient and humble servant. Perhaps it's just the context that's inappropriate. I don't know. Or maybe it's, maybe it's uh, Dr. Franklin is done here. And he's, uh, he's on his way out, and he's like, uh, yeah, I'm done, with, I'm done here, and I'm done with you. They have clearly wronged the colonies, according to Dr. Franklin. And they have injured the colonies well beyond that of the tea that was thrown into the harbor, think the Boston Tea Party. Whatever damage was done by the Boston Tea Party has been repaid, and then some, quite extensively, by this blockade amongst the other measures, I mean, multitude of measures taken against the colony of Massachusetts. Let, let us see how much of it has been repaid. Quote, And whereas the blockade of Boston now continued nine months, have every week of its continuance done damage to that town equal to what was suffered there by the India Company, end quote. So every week, according to Dr. Franklin, there's as much damage done to Boston as was done in the Boston Tea Party. Every week for nine months. Now, you do some quick math on that. I mean, assume four weeks a month, now yeah, roughly. Four weeks a month for nine months, you come up with 36. That's 36 times over the colony, or the city of Boston, rather, has paid for the Boston Tea Party. Restitution has been made, ladies and gentlemen. So for all those folks out there that say, oh, the Boston Tea Party was so terrible, and it was, uh, it was, this, it was a terrorist act, and blah, 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 and it was such a horrible thing, the British government was justified in basically murdering the whole of the population of Massachusetts, and blah, 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 blah. For all those people who say stupid crap like that, 36 times, according to Dr. Franklin, this was paid for. 36 times. Is that enough? Is that enough for you? I mean, even a reasonable population of people having paid for this thing 36 times over, you would think at some point it would come to blows. And the people, the population of the area would just start shooting to regain their rights. But the Founding Fathers didn't do that, did they? No, it was the British military that marched out of Boston, the city that had paid for that crime of the Boston Tea Party 36 times over, according to Dr. Franklin. It was, those, it was the British troops that came out of that town and went out into the countryside to murder people and steal their property. Could we have had a more damaged or insulted population of people than the Founding Fathers and the people of Massachusetts? I want to hear one more time from all the morons out there who say that the, the Founding Fathers were not justified in doing what they did. Founding Fathers committed treason, or the Founding Fathers did this or that, and the Founding Fathers were just trigger-happy, shooting from the hip, a bunch of crazy old people didn't want to pay their taxes. I want to hear that one more time from the morons who have never read this letter, or have read it and lie about it. Strange things happen when you read real history off the page from Dr. Franklin, and you listen to him provide a good analysis of what's going on. This is solid analysis from Dr. Franklin. Not exactly one of the most firebrand people from the group of the Founding Fathers. Fairly level-headed guy most days. But the British government is not done, ladies and gentlemen. 
Oh, the British government is so not done with the people of Massachusetts, because this 36 times, roughly, that they have paid for this crime of the Boston Tea Party, which instigated, allegedly, instigated this whole thing, the intolerable acts, military dictatorship, overthrowing of the government, the soldiers being sent in, and all the rest of it. I mean, if this is just cause for what, I mean, if, if, the, if the Boston Tea Party was just cause for what the British government did, then quite frankly, I shudder to think, what the response should be to certain things that have happened in recent memory in the United States. I shudder to think what the response should be. But clearly this is unjustified. And Benjamin Franklin is making the point. This is not justified at all. I don't know what the cost of that tea was. Like in modern dollars. I mean, how much do you think the cost of that tea would have been in modern United States dollars? A few, a million bucks or something like that, maybe? It's a lot of money. But it's certainly not one to two billion it's not even close. I mean, one to two billion would be several orders of magnitude beyond a million. So what are we talking about here? But the British government is not done because tyranny knows no limits. And once the government has an excuse, once it has an excuse to really go full hog and do as much damage as possible. And this, by the way, is how you can tell a good government from a bad government. How do they leverage an excuse like this? What do they do afterwards? What kind of tyranny do they rain down on people for the slightest little infraction? And not just not just a response against those people responsible for the Tea Party. No, the whole of the colony. Dr. Franklin elaborates they're, that they're doing more. Quote, I do therefore, in behalf of the colony of the Massachusetts Bay, protest against the act now under consideration in Parliament for depriving that province with others of that fishery, end quote. They're trying to take away the fishery of the Massachusetts colony, which is a huge economic impact to that colony and to the welfare and livelihood of those people. They're trying to shut them down. They're trying to close them off. They're trying to destroy businesses. They're trying to harm people because it wasn't enough that you took away their, their, their rights to trial by jury of their peers in Massachusetts. It wasn't enough that you took away their legitimate government of Massachusetts and installed a military dictatorship. It wasn't enough that you deployed regular soldiers to occupy the city of Boston and turn it into a garrison city. It wasn't enough that you blocked off the port of Boston and ceased all commerce in and out of that place, for the most part. It wasn't enough. No. Now we got to go and shut off the fishery, too. What were they going to do next? I mean, if this, if this had gone on beyond April 19th of 1775, what the heck else would they have done? I mean, besides march troops out to the countryside to murder people and steal their property and illegally arrest them. I mean, besides that, which, which they did on April, or they tried to do on April 19th. What the heck else would they have done? This never would have ended, ladies and gentlemen. They'd still be doing it today. The colony of Massachusetts today would still be under some kind of military occupation, a military dictatorship, and they would still be doing God knows what to that colony. Perhaps a slight exaggeration, but you get the idea. These people just don't stop. And the government of Great Britain, the King of England, and the Parliament was not going to stop until somebody stopped them. And since the government was ready to use regular soldiers to go out and murder people, there was only one way to stop it, and that was to shoot back. And that's why I said earlier in this episode that the Second Amendment is the reason why we actually have a Declaration of Independence in the first place. There was no army to stand in between those British soldiers and the people of Lexington and Concord and the rest of Massachusetts. There was no army out there. It was just people. Where was the Continental Army? Oh, yeah, nowhere to be seen because it wasn't there. It was people, ladies and gentlemen. Just regular people who, believe me, on that morning would rather be doing other things than getting shot at by British soldiers. Minding their own business in the dark of night, British soldiers go out and march against their own people. 
This is not mythology. This is not fake history. This is not made up. This isn't a fairy tale. This really happened. I want you to imagine sleeping in your house with your family in the dark of night. Next thing you know, somebody's knocking on your door telling you that there is a military column marching out of the nearest city out into the countryside to kill you to steal your property, and to illegally arrest people that you hold up as being leaders of your community. I want you to picture that in your head. I want you to think about that tonight when you go to sleep, because that's exactly what happened to these men and women. And God forbid any population of people should ever be faced with that again. But of course they were. How many times since 1775 have we seen it? And how many more times are we going to see it after 2022? I'm sick and tired of it. Are you sick and tired of it yet? Are you sick and tired of seeing this kind of crap? You better be sick and tired, because if you're not, it's going to happen again. I'm sick of it. And I'm not just sick of seeing it in the Western world. I'm not just sick of seeing it in Britain and in Germany and in France and in Russia or wherever. I'm sick of seeing it in Korea. I'm sick of seeing it in China. I'm sick and tired of seeing it in Vietnam. I'm sick and tired of seeing it in Burma or Myanmar or wherever. I'm tired of it. And maybe that makes us different than the rest of the population, that we're sick and tired of it. Maybe that's what segregates us from the rest of society. The rest of society is content to build their fantasy land Disney World life while we grow sick and tired of listening to what Benjamin Franklin was telling us about happening over and over and over and over again for the last 10,000 years. And how many more times are we going to see it in places like Iran happening right now, in places like China happening right now? And nobody seems to want to talk about it in the news media, by the way. Why is that? Does it strike a little too close to home for some people? Does it strike a little too close to their favored ideology, perhaps? Why wouldn't you want to talk about it? Why wouldn't you get on the air and say that you're sick and tired of it? Why wouldn't you get emotional about it? Why wouldn't you get passionate about it? Because you don't give a crap, that's why. So if you think these people in the news are going to tell you the truth about any of this crap, if you think they're going to report on it, if you think they're going to try to rally anybody to do anything about it or try to push society to do anything about it, you're delusional. Because they ain't sick and tired of it yet. They ain't had enough. And that's just the truth, because there's only two kinds of people on this issue. You're either sick and tired of seeing it, or you haven't had enough yet. You want some more. And if you want some more, God help you. There's a place that you can go. Why don't you just catch the next plane to North Korea, and you will find it. You want some more? Go over there, and you get it. You get yourself some more of it. But I am sick and tired, ladies and gentlemen, tired of it. And I'm reminded of it every time I read the words of Dr. Franklin and John Adams and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. I am sick and tired of seeing it over and over again without quit. Too many people have died. Just because it isn't your children, just because it isn't your neighbors, doesn't mean it didn't happen. Doesn't mean it isn't happening right now. And oftentimes, politicians in the general government, they sit on their hands, they don't say anything about it. Why? Because they're too busy cashing checks and buying mansions. And while they're cashing checks and buying mansions, people are dying out there. Do they care? Not really. Doesn't affect them. Doesn't affect their kids. Their kids have these comfortable jobs that they get because of all of the networking and connections that their politician parents have. They don't give a crap. That's why after something on the order of 30 to 50 million people dead in China, Great Britain just hands Hong Kong back to the communist Chinese. Why would you do that? Oh my gosh, Roman, are you saying the British shouldn't give it back? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. If you have any regard for the people under your charge, the people under your care, your responsibility, you would never do something like that. Because you wouldn't want, to th you wouldn't want any of them to become part of the 50 million dead. Because there's a responsibility to be had there. 
But of course, that responsibility means absolute crap when you tuck your tail between your legs and you run away. And you're not sick and tired of seeing this kind of thing happen. And you're part of the problem. Have I made my point clear yet? Is anybody with me on this? Is anybody sick and tired? Does anybody else think that we have let this thing go on far too long? That we have not listened to Benjamin Franklin, we have not listened to John Adams, and we have not listened to George Washington enough. Now, I'm not saying the United States can be the policeman of the world and go over and stop all of these things because we cannot. I'm not saying that. Somebody's going to say, oh my gosh, Roman, what do you think? You think we ought to go over to Iran right now and stop what's going on over there? What do you think? We ought to go over to China and declare war and stop what's going on over there right now? No, that's not what I'm suggesting. But I am not hearing anywhere in the public discourse from anybody who should be fed up with this crap. I'm not hearing anything on the order of, I am sick and tired. I am sick and tired. You certainly don't hear it from corporate America. I mean, these people will bend over backwards to do business with these people. And the United States government will bend over backwards to simply ignore anything and everything that's going on. I'm not saying we send an army over there to stop it, but maybe we do something to stop participating in it. Maybe we do something to stop enabling it. Maybe we do something to stop paying for it. Paying for it, ladies and gentlemen, with dollars. Maybe. Just maybe. There's plenty of other countries we can do business with. Plenty of other people that we can do business with. So why in the world... Would you pick some of the characters that these people are picking to do business with? And the answer, and there's a lot of different answers to that question, but one of them is they, 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 have, they are not sick and tired yet. They want some more. It wasn't enough that we put up with this crap all the way up to 1775. Wasn't enough. And we put up with it afterward for a little bit, too, until James Madison came in and said, Stop! And another war was fought. Isn't that interesting how these guys from that generation, those two generations, actually, there's like two generations of the Founding Fathers, if not three, and, boy, they were just sick and tired, weren't they? Sick and tired of being sick and tired of seeing this kind of crap. James Madison wasn't putting up with it. And again, I'm not saying we should fight a war. I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm just not hearing it. I'm not hearing the sick and tired. I'm not hearing it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. And this country, the United States of America, as well as any other country that has a brain, is going to want to take a long, hard look at that problem and try to figure out how we got here. How did we get to the point where we're not sick and tired of this anymore? Because at one point in time, we were. Somewhere between 1775 and 1812, we were sick and tired. Not anymore. And at some point, roundabouts 1861, somebody was sick and tired. Didn't want to wait any longer for people to do the right thing. What's that all about? I'll talk about that in a future episode. Specifically that. It's coming up. And yes, it is related to the Founding Fathers because this started way back before, honestly, before them. But it kept on going through them. It was talked about by them. It was, they tried to do something about it, didn't succeed, failed miserably. And then it came, it came right back to haunt us later on down the road, continually. It was like it never went away. It was always there. So yes, it's related to the Founding Fathers. But, you know, I'm going to wrap up this episode. You get the idea. Dr. Franklin's trying to convey a lot of things to us. Namely that we must remain united. We must maintain that faith with each other, those of us who call ourselves Americans. We must remain united, and we mustn't be separated from our common cause. Declaration of Independence, Constitution of the United States of America, Bill of Rights, mustn't be separated on these issues. It's pretty easy when you think about it. I don't know why this country finds it so difficult these days. Dr. Franklin would probably uh, be rather upset with us, given how uh, difficult we find this to be these days. But at the same time, we must understand that this tyranny that existed in Great Britain at the time by the King of England and the British Parliament, it was not these people were never going to stop. The Founding Fathers waited and waited and waited for peace and peace and more peace to come out of the to come out of the parliament, but they just weren't serving it up. What they were serving up was tyranny instead. No peace, 
tyranny. And when it finally got to their doorstep at the barrel of a gun, the Founding Fathers said, No more. We're not allowing this anymore. We are sick and tired, and we're done with this. You shoot at us, we will shoot back. You point a gun at us, we will shoot you. It's enough that you've set up a military dictatorship. It's enough that you've closed off our commerce. It's enough that you've upended our judiciary. It's enough that we've paid for the Boston Tea Party 36 times. We've had enough. And you come to my house and you point a gun at me, we're going to shoot back. And that's what they said in 1775. Because they were sick and tired. And thank goodness they did it. Because if they didn't, if they wouldn't have done it, it just would have kept on going. Like Benjamin Franklin says at the end of the letter, the fisheries, they're going after the fisheries next. It never would have stopped, folks. It just kept going and going and going. And it wouldn't have stopped with Massachusetts. The, the founding fathers have made it clear that this would have continued down the colonies until they were all under oppression. So keep that in mind. Understand all of this. Because this is good. This is good information to have available against all those stupid, specious arguments that people try to make about the Founding Fathers. Amongst a multitude of other things that we've talked about on this podcast, and that's the value that you get here. You want to be armed against this BS that people try to throw up, this flak storm of BS that people try to throw up about the Founding Fathers? Just read the letters. It's all right there. The good and the bad. It's the real stuff. So I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast. I don't know if I'm going to get this thing uploaded in time. It's going to take a while for me to actually roll through this and analyze and edit it and all the rest of it, but we'll see. I'm try I've been trying to stick to an upload schedule of every Sunday, fire up an episode, so it's ready for Monday. We'll see if I manage to stick to that, because this is a long one. This is going to be another longer episode. i got to start making these things short again, I think. I probably should have broken this up into like two episodes, but we'll see how that goes. So I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast and, and having this discussion on the study group. I think it's very valuable. And like I said, if anybody else out there is sick and tired of seeing this crap that these tyrannical governments do, leave a review on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts, and let me know. I can't be the only one who's sick and tired. I mean, I see this kind of stuff going on in China right now, and I see this kind of stuff going on in Iran that's been going on there for a while, and it frustrates me to no end. It's really aggravating. And it's what's aggravating most about it is that the people in the general government who could say something about it and who could draw a clear line in the sand. I'm not talking about a red line. I'm not talking about that crap. Don't don't even give me the stuff about the red line. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about have a position. For Pete's sake, say something and say something early and often instead of keeping your mouth shut, cashing your checks and buying your mansions and going on vacation like these people are wont to do, okay? I, I have not gone on a vacation in my entire adult life. I'm dead serious. So why it is these politicians, up to and including the office of the President of the United States, why these people feel it necessary to go on vacation all the time is beyond me. Sure, I take a break from work now and again. I have some quote-unquote vacation time, but do I go on vacation? No, I usually end up doing something. I usually end up working on projects like this. And other things, reading the Founding Fathers, reading the books. But, the, you know, the the general government and the people around it, the politicians, should have a position on this. And a strong position, a pro-American position of freedom and liberty. And I'm not hearing it. I mean, every once in a while you see it in flickers and glimmers, but is that how we operate these days? Is that the United States of America, the beacon of freedom in the world? We operate in flickers and glimmers? Rags and tatters of what we used to be, rags and tatters of the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence and the principles that we stand for. Is that what we are now? Just the rags and tatters of 1776? I sure as crap hope not. But thank you for sharing the podcast as well for all those folks out there who get the word out about the podcast. Again, I have no marketing department for this. Uh, my marketing department quit and left a long time ago. Actually, I, I'm joking. I've never had a marketing department. I have no staff. 
I have nobody who helps me with this. It's just me. You folks are the only ones that help me with this thing. You're the only ones who help get the word out about the podcast. So for that, I am eternally grateful. And to the extent the Founding Fathers would appreciate me reading their letters on this podcast and trying to provide some context around it, I don't know if they would always agree with my context. Perhaps not. I'm sure, as a matter of fact, I'm sure some of it they might disagree with. Some of them. Some would agree and some would disagree. This is a population of people. They had different personalities. But I know that they would appreciate you listening to the letters from the Founding Fathers and taking time out of your day to do it. This is your time. This is your valuable time. And you're listening to Dr. Franklin and John Adams and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and the rest of them. That's a serious commitment on your part, and I thank you for it. On behalf of the Founding Fathers, I thank you for listening to them. It's really awesome what you do. You're great people, and I thank you. Thank you for getting the word out about it. And uh, as much as I hope you enjoy this uh, episode, I hope you join me on the next episode of the podcast so we can continue going on about what the Founding Fathers were talking about, being sick and tired of tyranny, wanting to see this country united instead of divided, and not wanting people to prey on our hopes and fears like the politicians and the tyrants and the oppressors like to do. Let's stick together. We are all in this together, and not just the people of the United States, but the people all around the world. Some folks just don't understand. We are all in this together. We're all people. And we all have, and our ancestors have all been oppressed by some government somewhere at some point. Whether it's the Founding Fathers by Great Britain, the people of Massachusetts being attacked by their own government, by their own government's military, or by whatever. Going back thousands of years, the people of Russia, for Pete's sake, that's like a never-ending story with those people. Constantly attacked by their own governments. No matter what the government is, whether it's the Tsars, whether it's the Soviets, whether it's the modern government, it doesn't really matter. They're always under attack. We're in this together, and if we want to, if we want to way out of it, if we want to, if we want to walk the path of the founding fathers to walk out of that kind of tyranny, we have to listen to them, and that's what we do on this podcast. Thank you so much for doing that. Please join me on the next episode. And with all of that said, this is Roman signing out. Thank you.